Hi, I'm Lexi. I'm from Senior High, and I'll be reading um, the Bible tonight. I'll be reading from John chapter 3, verses 22 to 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem, because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truth truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains in them. Well, I don't know about you, but my Insta feed was filled with end-of-year 12 events this week. Uh, most of them, of course, happening on Zoom. Uh, and so as we start tonight, I want to share with you an excerpt from a principal's speech that I read. And it goes like this. As I draw to a close, let me specifically speak to Year 12. Uh, we've been very thankful for most of your time here at high school. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you go. And as you do, please hear this. There will always be someone better than you. So don't waste your emotional, physical or mental energy trying to be best. Few, if any of you, ever will be. Rather, just be yourself. Be ordinary. Get a job if you can. Live life. And be remembered as one who didn't waste too much of their time pursuing money or money pursuing failure be remembered as the one who just got on with it and then was not remembered thank you now that's a far cry from what i heard mr o'connor say in 1990 and i suspect that is a far cry from what any of you perhaps heard this week uh, for most school principals, their job relies on their capacity to inspire uh, and achieve glory and greatness in the kids at their school. And so principals say things like, I know that these are young men with warm hearts who will go on 
to do great things. And they talk about discovering your path and realizing your purpose through excellence or, or giving their all to ensure everyone finds a place and thrives as a fully formed human being. And even in schools where academics are not acknowledged, well, everyone knows who the greatest is because deep down we all want to be that guy. Now, you might have guessed it, but I actually made that earlier speech up. It was never given. It's a complete fake. And it's a fake because no school principal would ever say those things. Because achieving greatness is the air we breathe. And achieving greatness is what schools and businesses and the world promotes. Indeed, Oprah will tell you that failure is just a stepping stone to greatness. And a few years ago, Nike was telling us that greatness is a choice with no fixed address, but it's a place where every athlete can find their own personal success and shape their own definition. We all know that there are great prizes for those who are great, and the cash goes with it. And it's those people who can afford to be a fully formed human being, experiencing all the joy that life has to offer. We all want for more. But the truth is, we rarely achieve the glory we hope for. And so we have to settle for what we have with a measure of frustration at missed opportunity, often with jealousy at other people and disappointment, usually in ourselves. So now hear this. What if I told you that you could get off the conveyor belt of disappointment and frustration right now and find absolute, permanent joy? Well, that's the message of John 3 that is before us tonight. It is that joy is not found in being great. Instead, joy is found in serving greatness. So uh, grab your Bible if you've got it or you'll see it on the screen. We're going to open up from John chapter 3, verse 22 and see what God has to say to us. And the first thing that we're going to see here is that John's disciples actually defend his greatness. So as our passage opens, we actually find Jesus and John the Baptist both baptizing people. Now, now, I don't think either of these baptisms are what we would know as Christian baptism, more likely signs of their alignment with that message that John's been preaching, the need for repentance because of the coming of God. But you've got two baptisms taking place in sort of the similar area. Now, you know what happens when a, a second pizza shop opens up in a set of shops or a second burger shop opens up inside a set of shops. There tends to be jealousy and confusion and winners and losers. Well, look what happens with these two baptisms from verse 25. Uh, we read, An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi! Uh, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and, and everyone's now going to him. 
Now that's sort of pretty hard to follow because it looks like verse 25 and 26 appear to be dealing with two different arguments or problems. But if you imagine that it's John's disciples who are the ones causing the argument, I think we can follow along. So the story goes a bit like this. A certain Jew is commending Jesus' baptism to people. The disciples of John hear this and say to him, hang on, you've got to have John's baptism first because his baptism is a purification baptism, a ceremonial washing baptism in preparation for the Messiah. And and the Jew goes, no, you can do either baptism. And John's disciples are furious. And so they go back to John concerned that all their customers are being stolen by Jesus who set up shop down the road. And they say to John, what are we going to do about this? And so how's John going to reply? Now remember, John was at one point the greatest draw card in all Jerusalem. We're actually told elsewhere that at one time, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to John to be baptized. John was an Israelite rock star. So you'd understand if he was upset. Someone was taking over his role, taking his people, taking his fame. But with John, it's the exact opposite. He's not upset. He's actually overjoyed. And so what we see is John defending Jesus' greatness. Uh, Look at me from verse 27. Uh, This is what we see. John says to his disciples, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, John says, and is now complete. So so back to verse 27, you see, he starts with an enormously important theological reality. It is that God's sovereignty stands behind all human claims and all human ability. You are who you are because God made you that way. And God gave you all you have. And God enables you to be all you will be. You have nothing and you are nothing but what you received from the hands of God. And that is enormously humbling and life-orienting. It means no school can make you into a fully formed human being but by the grace of God. And no coach can make you into the next Quade Cooper but by the enabling of God. And no strategy can make you into a more successful minister but by the gift of God. And John knows his place. He he said there in verse 28, I told you I'm not the Messiah. I'm just one cent ahead of him. Now, Now we've seen John's humility before, but there is something new here. See, John has pointed away from himself to Jesus, but now that this rising prominence, this rising star of Jesus, while it's upsetting to John's disciples, well, it floods John with exceeding joy. Joy because he sees and knows the glory of Jesus. And he sees his place in serving Jesus and he humbly accepts the greatness of Jesus, his master. 
and his friend. He knows Jesus is ultimately great. And rather than being threatened by Jesus, rather than thinking he should compete with Jesus, rather than trying to find his own path to greatness, he finds joy in serving Jesus with exactly what he has been given. And so in the end, John exemplifies this reality, that joy is not found in being great, but joy is found in serving greatness, in knowing your place. And that's why he speaks in verse 29 about the wedding. He says, the best man doesn't expect to be in all the photos, but he knows that his role is important. But true joy is found in celebrating his friend. And to John, Jesus is that friend. So the news the disciples brought to him was the very news he'd been longing to hear. That Jesus was stepping out of the shadows and calling people to himself. And John is joyful because of what he is, not because of what he's done, but because of the one he's worked for and the arrival of Jesus' glory. And so John responds in the only way you should, when you see the greatness of Jesus. So third, the right response to greatness, it comes in verse 30, where John says, He must become greater. I must become less. You see, John is full of joy because Jesus has arrived. His work was not about notching up a baptism register of certificates bigger than anyone else, but his joy is found in serving Jesus because ultimately he's king. He's the great one. He's in charge. He's the one calling people to himself. And when you serve Jesus, you know your place. You find your place. It was never about John. It was always about Jesus. Well, he recognized all he had was from God, but all he had to do was serve Jesus. And now that he sees Jesus triumphing, well, his joy is complete. He's satisfied because he's not been personally striving towards greatness, but John's pathway and John's purpose has been Christ. And to that end, John here models humanity at its joyful best. For when you recognize that Jesus is over everyone and everything, including you, that he has given you all you have and that he loves you and has demonstrated that at the cross, well, then you can find your place in the world by setting aside your personal aspirations for greatness, setting aside your your personal aspirations for glory and making the one who is truly glorious Shine, Jesus. Now, to many people today, that is just sheer religious egomania. And they're baffled by John's willingness to love and serve Jesus more than anyone, even himself. It is perplexing to a modern ear. And maybe, just maybe, it's actually strange to your ears. That what we're reading here is Jesus saying, put yourself in last place. And that Jesus might call you to put aside your personal pursuit of greatness, the pursuit of self, and find your identity and your joy in serving Jesus with what you've received from heaven. Uh, there is great joy. Now, don't be confused. Uh, this is not a call to be hopeless. This is not a call to stop trying at life. 
Rather, it's a call to make Jesus' greatness your first cause and your first motivation in everything in life, in all that you do. Now, for some people, that might mean actually turning off your arrogance because it's not about you. But for others, it may actually mean turning on effort because it is all about Jesus. But either way, this is not optional. Now, look again at verse 30. And what John says is, he must become greater. I must become less. Uh, This way of living and thinking is not an optional extra. The language here is clear. This is God's must, a divine must. This is God's doing and God's plan and God's purpose for John. But not just for John. This is God's purpose for you. And that's why the writer of this gospel records these words here. In a world that tells you to seek greatness, God says, no, glorify Jesus. In a world that encourages you to increase in your greatness, God says, with all I've given you, make Jesus great. This is what John wants us to see. And this is what John wants us to do. That at the centre of your life, in all that you do, you must make Jesus great. And if you're not yet convinced that Jesus is ultimate greatness, you'll see from verse 31 an extra reflection from the gospel writer on how awesome Jesus is. And I expect, suspect those verses 31 to 36 are there so that we might lift our eyes from John, who is our example, actually to Jesus, who is ultimately glorious. Well, friends, uh, let's land this squarely in the practical What we've thought about today is that we must be people who make Jesus great. Uh, And I hope that you can see that that little nugget there actually impacts every single thing in your life. That Jesus must come first and that must shape, he must shape everything you do. Uh, First of all, I want to say that mindset obviously impacts everyone doing ministry. Whether you are paid in ministry or volunteering in ministry, whether you're one of our youth leaders, whether you're one of our year 9, 10, 11s who serve in kids' ministry, whoever you are serving, and it impacts people like me. A famous old guy called John Calvin said this. He said, those who win the church, and that's those who win preschoolers or year fives or, or anyone, those who win the church over to themselves rather than to Christ, faithlessly violate the marriage which they ought to honour. This marriage he described in verse 29. So I want to encourage you tonight to keep your leaders accountable. Uh, Look carefully. Are they building the church of Ben? The, The church of Brianna? The church of Josh? The church of Nigel? Or are they building the church of Jesus? Because he's the one who's great. But I also want to land this today significantly in our education and our work. Our school work, uni work, paid work, volunteer work, whether you're at Covey or Coles 
or Christchurch or KPMG. It doesn't matter. This passage applies to you. Because at the very heart of our systems of education and work in this world is the opportunity to, to achieve greatness through recognition that leads to power, then the end leads to pay. And the whole structure of our schools, the whole structure of work pushes you onwards and upwards and you know you have landed when finally someone says your name and everyone starts clapping. And that's ultimate in school and work. But for the one who follows Jesus, for the one who says Jesus must be greater and I must be less, such things ought not matter. Oh, they're nice. And it's good to commend your staff and commend your students. But if you never get an award, if you never get a bonus, if you never get a certificate, if you never get a pat on the back or a bottle of wine, it ought not concern you. Because personal greatness is not your goal. Rather, making Jesus shine greatly is your goal. Now, don't be confused. All this does not mean that you don't try. It doesn't mean success is bad. It doesn't mean you should never get an award. It doesn't mean you can't be a CEO or the head of a school. None of those things are wrong. In fact, to the contrary, verse 27 reminds us whatever you've received from heaven, whatever God has gifted you with, whatever capacity, whatever wisdom, whatever knowledge, whatever intelligence, you must use that to the glory of God. But if you're a Christian, you should work and study well because it is Jesus who's the head of all things and it's Jesus who we serve. So you don't do your job grudgingly or reluctantly, but you work from the heart for the Lord. Now, becoming a Christian doesn't make you a, a worse student or a worse worker or a worse manager or a worse business owner. Rather, it should make you excel in loving people and excel in doing well because your boss is Jesus who is great, and your goal is to serve him with what he's given you. Honouring Jesus with integrity and accountability will make Jesus shine. And with those goals in mind, you can get off the endlessly disappointing mouse wheel where you run and get nowhere and get onto the path where hope and joy are found. You see, in the end, the desire to make Jesus great will reshape your attitude and action every time in the playground, in the office, on the work site. You'll show kindness and consideration to everyone. You'll look out for new people rather than harass them or isolate them. And likewise, your language and your sense of humor will reflect Jesus' greatness and his rule in your life. There'll be an unwillingness to gossip and instead a profound willingness to apologize because your aim is to please God. And friends, grasping this is immensely liberating and it will actually enable you to be a better student, a better worker, a better employer. When you have your eyes fixed on Christ, when you are driven by Christ, 
when making him great is your goal and making yourself less is your desire. For who we are serving changes everything. Now, if you know this has not been you, you've been the person who's just been horrible to others in the playground, at work, on the job site. Let me suggest this. If you commit today to making Jesus great, making yourself less at school or work or wherever you are, you will have more opportunities to speak of Jesus in the next week than you could poke a stick at. Uh, let me assure you, I'll be praying for you and for a spirit-led transformation in your heart. Because friends, as you go deeper with Jesus, you will feel increasingly uncomfortable because you will descend into unfamiliar territory, a territory of humility and service rather than pride and greatness. But there can only be one great person. And try as you may, it will not be you. It will always, always be Jesus. Because joy is not found in being great. Joy is found in knowing Jesus. So as you step into this week, step into this week with these words on your lips. Jesus must become great. And I must become less. Amen. Hey everyone, uh, my name's Charlie. I'm a team leader at Christchurch Youth. Um, and it's now time for Q&A with Nigel. Hey. So um, we're going to be taking some of the questions from Slido and putting them to the big man. So firstly <laughs> from Hamish. Um, Hamish's question, Israel was highly religious, so being zealous like John wasn't that weird. So how can we be active in glorifying God today without being seen as a religious nut? Yeah, that's a really great question. Uh, one of the, the first things that I did at Bible College was actually read Mark 1 and read about how John was dressed up in camel's hair and he ate wild honey. And one of the ways of translating the other thing he ate is cockroaches. So Definitely seems like a nut. Yeah, that's, that sounds pretty nutty. If you were to do that, that would be a really bad suggestion. Uh, but how do you actually you know, present yourself as a Christian without being a religious nut? I think it's actually about authenticity. Uh, in our world today, we talk a lot about authenticity and we talk a lot about just seeing people as they are. Uh, I think it's been really interesting, actually, if you're a rugby fan, to have seen some of the dialogue around Quade Cooper and Sonny Bill uh, Williams, I think, and the way that they've worked together to help Quade Cooper out of a spot to be more authentic. Um, and I think that actually what they're doing there is actually stealing from the Bible. They're stealing from the idea that actually you should be who you are under God and who God has created you. Forget trying to be something you're making up yourself. Actually just be the person you are. Now, 
my guess is that most of you don't actually spend all of your time sort of running around with people, whacking them with a Bible and saying, have you been washing the blood of the lamb? Uh, that's religiously nutty. Uh, but if you're actually just authentically a Christian, you love people, you love God, you pray for people, you care for people, you show people kindness, you demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. I think in all of those ways that you're actually showing what it is to genuinely be a Christian, and that provides you with a platform to actually say to a friend in the playground or at work who's having some trouble or something else, I reckon a great way in is just to go, hey, can I pray for you? And at that point in time, you're just demonstrating to someone that there is an authenticity to your relationship with God because it's not all about you. It's actually, no, I know this guy who actually runs the world and he can make an enormous difference in your life. So I think, it's, I think that, that sort of is my sort of thinking is none of us actually run around like religious nuts. So just be yourself and you'll find opportunities to share Jesus. Yeah, yeah. so authenticity is the antidote to... I guess, being considered nuttiness, just yeah. truly reflecting the gospel in your life. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Next question about social media. So from Anonymous, is it hypocritical for our mantra to be, Jesus must increase and I must decrease, but have our social media accounts which glorify ourselves? How do we navigate this? Yeah, excellent uh, question. Uh, Charlie, what do you post on your social media account? I'm a bit of a... Um, uh, dark horse, I guess. I don't really post very much. Uh, are you even so, on Instagram? No, you are. Technically. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's an excellent question though, isn't it? Because you can use your Insta account to cultivate uh, a picture of yourself as you know, made up. A picture of yourself that's not actually you. And, and so I, I think you need to actually perhaps you know, ask someone, genuine Christian friend, uh, maybe your growth group leader, a youth group leader, whoever it is, actually say to them, can you have a look at my Instagram account and can you tell me honestly, do you think that I am just trying to parade some version of me? Or is this actually a representation of who I am as a person? Uh, am I trying to make this all about me? Or am I actually using this platform to actually share the reality of my faith as well? I think it would be a sad thing if uh, you, know, you went onto my Instagram account and never saw anything about church. Except maybe in my bio. There's like, you know, there's like, I, I'm a pastor of a church in Sydney or something yeah. else like that. If that's, if that's all, then, then I think that's probably a problem. So I think in the whole world of social media, it's a great opportunity to take this passage, as I said, that what we read here impacts everything. Take it and ask yourself, uh, is this about Jesus or is this about me? Yeah, nice. Yeah, I think um, having, like, I guess an outside perspective from a, brother or sister, um, is a really helpful yeah. way to do that. I think we can't underrate, even in this time of separation, our need for each other. Totally. And, and, and you know, you, we, we know that. We, we long to be face-to-face and together. We long for our Friday growth groups, our midweek growth groups to be in person because we need each other. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, uh, I've got one final question for you, um, a little bit more related to the youth. Um, so... How do we think about making Jesus great as we plan our future after school? How can that help? Yeah, another excellent question. What did you do after school, Charlie? I went straight to uni, straight to engineering degree. Pretty, uh, nothing particularly exciting. It's 
that sounds pretty standard. Lots of people do that. Uh, and uh, other people will go straight to work. Uh, I, I think that what you want to do is to recognize who you are. Uh, sometimes school doesn't help you do that. Sometimes you need to actually you know, do some extra study or you know, ask people to work out, well, how is it that you might be able to actually glorify God with who you are and then get on a pathway to do that. So being really practical, uh, I, I think that you've got a real opportunity as a year 11 or 12 student to sort of say, you know, as I take the first steps into you know, life outside of school, uh, what am I going to do that's going to help me actually, how am I going to use what God has made me and use the gifts God's given me and use my passions to serve him rather than thinking, oh, look, I'm going to get an ATAR of 92.7 and the highest paying job I can get with 92.7 is to be a chemical engineer. So I'm going to do chemical engineering so I can get the most money, so I get the biggest house and the most beautiful husband and, you know, dot, dot, dot down the track. Uh, Don't think like that. Go back to verse 27. Recognize everything you have is given by God and ask how are you going to serve God from where you are now and into the future and my second thing is to say, don't stress too much because a lot of people start something in their first year out of uni, change to something else, and change to something else, and change to something else. People start as nurses and finish as teachers. People start as doctors and finish as cyclists. People start all over the place and end up all over the place. Uh, and so I would just suggest trying to keep your stress down and your prayer high and Uh, walking slowly, pushing doors, seeing where God leads you, seeking to honour him in everything you do. Yeah, nice. So there's not one particular right answer. It's just a kind of state of mind and mindfulness of glorifying God with whatever it is that you go into. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks, Nigel.